welcome to Crime Culture. I'm I Haley. Feel welcome. I'm Caitlin. I'm not Haley. Yep. And uh, we're two separate people. Most and, of the uh, time. Yeah. We're basically attached to the hip sometimes, but. Yeah, since doing this podcast. That's true. That's very true. Now yeah. you're stuck with me. Absolutely. So today, um, we're talking about the Phantom Killer of Texarkana. Ooh, this sounds like, uh, this low-key sounds like a um, Scooby-Doo murder. It does. It does. And the guy wears like a sack on his head with two little eyes cut out. This is definitely, this is a Scooby-Doo type murder, but also horrible and unsolved. Yeah. Still. Um, So they're also called the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Oh. It was a term coined by the news media. Yeah. So the news basically named this sensation. I'd much prefer to be like Moodlight Moodlight Murdered or Moonlight Murdered? I'd (laughs) prefer to be both, yeah. The Moonlight is a Moodlight. It is a Moodlight. I'd like to be Mood Moonlight Murdered. Yeah. And it references the unsolved murders committed in and around Texarkana in the spring of 1946 by an unidentified killer known as the Phantom Killer or the Phantom Slayer. Mm -hmm. And Texarkana is a little town on the border of texas and arkansas so oh. it's half in texas and half so in arkansas. that's why it's texarkana i was yeah. wondering too in the middle of town i, I mean I, I think it's in the middle of of like the downtown there's like a little sign that had like splits the town in half oh, and it shows adorable. like texas and arkansas it sounds like a really cute little that's place adorable that's yeah. the perfect place for a murder to happen yes yeah. absolutely oh yeah uh, yeah so the killer was credited with attacking eight people within Whew. 10 weeks five of them were killed Oh, my God. And they all happened on weekends between February 22nd, 1946, and May 3rd, 1946. Okay. Right before my birthday. Right on. Yeah. But 19, not 1946. No. That's not... All right. But it's still right before my birthday. Yeah. I wasn't born yet. For your birth... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's also, so, like, right before my mom's birthday, but still. Yeah. So, uh, to start, um, the first two... At around 11.55 on Friday, February 22nd, 1946, 25-year-old Jimmy Hollis and his 19-year-old girlfriend, Mary Jean LeRae, oh, no. were attacked while parked on a secluded lover's lane off of Richmond Road. Oh, no. Never, never, never yes. go make out in public. Yep. This is this is the PSA against PDA. You'll well, get murdered. They'll, they, they talk about this later on because, like, there's a movie based on it, whatever, and... Um, like there's an urban legend kind of surrounding it like that sprung up because of this which is really cool and it did have to do with um kind of scaring like 50s teens off of children's (laughs) off of like premarital sex and like yeah and stuff like that so yeah because you'll go to hell wasn't a good enough excuse yeah you'll get murdered by somebody in the middle of the fucking woods and then you'll go to hell so the couple arrived on the scene around 11.45 after they dropped off Hollis's brother and his girlfriend from a double date. So they were both yeah. double dating over at the movies. And after they dropped off his brother and his girlfriend, they were like, let's go neckin'. <laughs> let's go neckin'. It's the 1946. That's, that's how they talk. Neckin'. Oh, uh, God. So after about 10 minutes of neckin'. Stop that. A man walked up to Hollis's driver's side door and flashed a flashlight in his face, which blinded him. <laughs> I flashed them. Flashed them. <laughs> Ooh, what a crime. Uh, so he put the flashlight right in his face, so it kind of blinded them yeah. so he couldn't see. Oh, so yeah. So Hollis wasn't sure if it was a prank or if he would have been mistaken for somebody. Because you know how sometimes, like, yeah. if you've ever been, like, parked somewhere or uh, it pulled over or something, mm-hmm. a cop will come over and shine a light right in your fucking eyeballs. Oh, yeah. So no, it could have easily been a cop. They yeah. don't know. So, um, he said, fella, you got me mixed up with somebody else. You've got the wrong man. The man had a pistol and told him something along the lines of, I don't want to kill you, fella, do, so do what I say. And he ordered them both out of the car. Both Hollis and Lorray, obviously fucking scared Died. out of their minds. Oh, that too. Uh, <laughs> got through the driver's side door. So, he made Lorray walk, Get, like, like crawl yeah. over. Like, slide over. Hopefully, yeah. it was, like, one of those, like, bench seats. Yeah. If it was in the 40s, but... Uh, so she had to come out the driver's side door, and the man told Hollis to, quote, take off your fucking britches. Oh. Ooh. Britches is a funny word. This britches is, is a funny word, but, like, this is preceded not, by fucking yeah, britches? Yeah, this is... That's this scary. Is, That's some deliverance like, type this shit. This is... Who, yes, yes. Yeah. So, um, Lorraine pleaded with Hollis to please take them off and do what he said so that they wouldn't get hurt. But after Hollis removed his pants, he was struck twice in the head with a heavy blunt object. 
Uh, Lorray explained in an interview, this is really rough. Mm-hmm. She explained in an interview three months later with the Texarkana Gazette uh, reporter Lucille Holland that the noise was so loud she thought that he had been shot. But she later learned it was the sound of his skull cracking. Ooh. Oh, Jesus Christ. And also she was, what, like 19? She's 19 years old, oh this girl. Oh, my God. Like, she doesn't need to experience that shit. That's like, fucked oh, up. God. That's something she's going to be able to hear in her head yes. for the rest of her life. Yeah. She, She'll never, never go necking that. again. She'll become a nun. Yeah, right? So, uh, Lorray then picked up Hollis's pants and pulled out his wallet and told the assailant he doesn't have any money. The assailant told her that she was lying and that uh, she had a purse. Lorray told him that she did not and was knocked to the ground. She said that she felt like she was hit with an iron pipe. The assailant ordered her to get up, and when she did, he told her to run. Uh, As she ran towards a ditch, the assailant told her not to go that way, but to run up the road. So he's fucking... What? Why is he telling you where to go? Why is he helping her? Yeah, right? Because then nobody's gonna hear about it. It gets even weirder. It's so weird. Uh, She stated that while she was running, she heard Hollis groaning and that the man continued to beat and stomp him. Lorraine was having trouble running in her high heels. Understandably. Yeah. If you've ever tried to run in heels. Yeah. And she was on a date, so she wants to get all dressed up, look nice. Uh, And then the assailant started running after her. She saw an older car uh, parked farther up the street facing their car. So she quickly looked inside to see if anyone was there to help her. But after seeing that no one was there, she began to run and was overtaken by the attacker. Now, the see, man- I would have hopped in the car. Because you know they don't lock them back then. Yeah, they probably keep the keys in the ignition. And I'd know. run that motherfucker down. Phantom killer of Texarkana. Who? Gone. <laughs> Skid mark. Uh, the man asked her why she was running. He's like, what? what? Bitch. You told oh my like, god, because Simon said... Yeah, she told him that it was... She told him that he had told her to run. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Lorray said, quote, he called me a liar and then I knew he was going to kill me. Oh, yeah. shit. Uh, he knocked her down and sexually assaulted her. Lorray oh, stated no. that he did not rape her, but abused her terribly. Okay. Uh, r- later reports indicated that the assailant sexually assaulted her with the barrel of his gun. <gasps> oh, oh Jesus. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's, like, I'm giggling because I'm uncomfortable. Like, that's so terrible. That's so terrible. That's, holy shit. Like, first of all, she had to hear her boyfriend's skull crack. Crack. And then, like, basically witness him die. Yeah. And that, oh, God. Like, oh, I think I She's such a badass. Listen to this. She managed to get up and told the assailant, go ahead and kill me. She ran half a mile, believing that she was being chased to a Beverly residence at 805 Blanton Street, where she screamed for help and banged on the front door. A car passed, but did not stop when she called after it. Uh, She ran to the back of the house and woke up the owners, who then notified the authorities. Bowie County Sheriff W.H. Presley then... Uh, and three other officers arrived at the scene, but the attacker had already driven off. They found Hollis's pants 100 yards away from the attack. Oh. Uh, yeah. So that was the first one. And then the second attack happened 28 days after the first one on Sunday, March 24th, 1946, somewhere between like 8.30 and 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, when 29-year-old Richard L. Griffin... And his girlfriend of six weeks, 17-year-old Polly Ann Moore, was found dead in Griffin's 1941 Oldsmobile sedan, uh, which was found by a passing motorist. Okay. The motorist saw the car parked on a lover's lane named Rich Road near a railroad spur 100 miles south of U.S. Highway 67 West, uh, close to a night spot called Club Dallas. So the motorist first thought that they were asleep in the car, Mm -hmm. and Griffin was found between the front seat on his knees with his head resting on his crossed hands. Uh-oh. Uh, his pockets were turned inside out. Moore was found sprawled face down in the back seat. Griffin had been shot twice while still in the car, and both had been shot once in the back of the head and were fully clothed. Ooh. Moore's purse was beside her in the back seat and contained a photo of her that was used in the following morning's paper. Oh, no. Um, the motorist contacted the city police, who then contacted Bowie County Sheriff W.H. Presley, um, according to a police report written by the Arkansas State Trooper Max Tackett, he'll come back into the case later okay. on. Um, one of the, he was one of the lead investigators on the Phantom case. Um, Moore apparently had been killed on a blanket in front of the vehicle before being placed back inside the car, which oh. is weird. Yeah. So the guy, weird. unless he did the whole thing again, where he was like, "Get out of the car." Yeah, but that's so weird. He like he told them to get out of the car. He shot them both, and then he put them. Back in the car? Yeah, like staging. How they'll do that I guess. sometimes. 
I know. That's, that's so fucking weird, though. And yeah, but this dude's, he's a fucking weirdo. He was like, run. Just kidding. Don't run. Why yeah. are you running? I didn't tell you to run. What a freak. So, um, unfortunately, as sometimes happens in these cases, uh, there was a mix-up, and Moore's body was picked up before an examination could be uh, oh. to, to determine if she'd been sexually assaulted. Both bodies were taken to the Texarkana funeral home. The couple were last seen having dinner with Griffin's sister, Eleanor, and her boyfriend on Saturday around 10 p.m. in a cafe on West 7th Street. That's so, a late dinner. Yeah, right? Sorry. So there's not a lot of info, really, on this one because both of them died. So, yeah. So we don't know what the... Right. The what was happening situation there. that yeah. led up to it. But... It was such a weird, similar thing. Right. They were on, like, a lover's lane, just like the first two. Too weird. It Too happened real. 28 days later, so not even a full month later, that um, that had been happened, like, an attack like this. And this yeah. is 1946. They don't know what a serial killer is yet. No. They no. can't even fathom that somebody could get killed by somebody that doesn't know them. They can't even fathom that there's somebody out there who kills more than once. Yeah. Like, yeah. 1946, this hadn't happened yet. Mm-mm. Like, they they didn't really start naming, like, a serial killer until, like, around Bundy time. Yeah, back when, um, whatchamacallit, when, like, all that Mindhunter shit is going down. Mindhunter, it's a great show. Everybody should yes. watch it. But, um, like, yeah, they, it's, everything's all, like... Yeah, so they're at a loss with this. They're like, what the hell is going on? No. Um, the next attack happened on... Uh, Saturday night, April 13th, when 15-year-old Betty Jo Booker was playing her alto saxophone in a weekly gig with her band, The Rhythm Airs, at a Aww. local VFW. Um, this would end up being their last performance. The Rhythm Airs never played again after uh, Betty Jo died. Poor Betty Jo. Um, she didn't finish until about 1.30 in the morning on Sunday. Damn. Crazy. Fucking that, that girl's a baller. ton of like, encores, wow. I guess, for the goddamn Rhythm Airs. Um, she waited for her friend, 16-year-old Paul Martin, to pick her up and drop her off at a slumber party across town. She, all right, all right, hold hold up, hold up, hold up. So she's making bank, all these encores, working till one in the morning, and then she's going to a sleepover. Yeah, right? You're showing, like, you're rolling into a sleepover damn, at one thirty. you are, no, that's that's some badass shit right there. She's like, only damn. 15. Damn. Like, she's she could have been a Disney Channel star now, to like today. Like, she could have been, she could have been Miley. She could have been Miley. She's just making that paper, man. Damn. I, don't, I don't know if she That's was making so money respect. with the Rutherford's. <laughs> I don't know. Um, they, if she was 15, they very well could have been cheating her out of it. Been like, yes, yeah, so we only made this much, so you get a dollar and the rest of us get like 30 yeah. bucks a piece. Yeah. So, um, Booker's classmates, uh, stated later, um, that she had said that she didn't want to go out with Paul Martin, but felt that she was obligated to because he was an old friend. So she's like, oh, my old friend's in town. I have to see him. I'm just going to get him to drop me off somewhere. And then right. <laughs> that'll be me hanging out with him. Yes. Um, so Booker and Martin were killed early Sunday, April 14th. Um, Martin's body was found at around 6.30 a.m. by Mr. and Mrs. Weaver and their son, who drove 200 yards to the nearest residence to contact the police after they found the bodies. Uh. Uh, Martin's body was found lying on its left side by the north side of North Park Road. Blood was found further down on the other side of the road by the fence. So yeah, he had, again, he had yeah. moved. Yeah. Um, he had been shot four times. Once through the nose. Ooh. Oh, God. Again, through the left fourth rib from behind. Oh, God. And a third time in the right hand. And finally in uh. the back of the neck. So what it looks like is... He was trying to get away. He was shot in the nose. He lifted, he lifted up his hand... And was shot through the hand, and then he was finally shot in the back of the neck. So it looks like he was shot maybe twice, like, through the nose and through the, the rib. Yeah. And he started to move. And, like, try and that's to, why there was like, blood. shield himself and get away. Yeah, and then the, he he held up his hand, and then he was he was shot twice more. And uh, Booker body, Booker's body was not found until approximately 11.30 a.m., almost two miles away from Martin's body. So what the fuck happened there? Maybe it was another situation of, like... Um, the guy attacked Martin and Booker was trying to run right. away and he and she ran away and then got shot again. Um, George Boyd spotted her body behind a tree 25 yards off of the north side of Morris Lane saying a number of times, oh my god, there she is. Oh, yeah. That's, that's 
brutal. Yeah, it's oh a rough God. one. Um, her body was lying on its back, fully clothed, with the right hand in the pocket of her buttoned overcoat. So she oh. was found laying on her back with her hands in her pocket. Yeah, that's 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 very weird. That's new. That's was there anything in the pocket? They say. I uh, I don't think they said anything like that, but they did say it, like it looked staged. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's what I'm wondering with the other one too. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Um, she had been shot twice, once through the left fifth rib from the front and once through the left cheek by the nose. Uh, the weapon used what was... What is with the, this dude in noses? Like, why is he going for the noses? He's shooting people in the face. He's shooting people in the ribs. Yeah. He doesn't fucking know what he's but, doing. But, like, what does he have against noses? I have no clue. Um, the weapon that was used was the same as the first double murder, which is a thirty-two automatic Colt pistol. The reports in the following day's newspaper said that the bodies were not abused, but later reports claimed that Booker had been raped. So there's not consensus on this. Yeah. Um, Martin's 1946 Ford Club Coupe was found about three miles away from Booker's body and about like a mile and a half away from uh, Paul Martin's body. Okay. Uh, It was parked outside Spring Lake Park with the keys still in it. See, I told you. That's what they did. That's just what they did. Well, I'm sure, like, they didn't park the car and get out and start walking and then, like, got shot. Like, I I don't understand that. Maybe the guy, like, drove the car farther away. I don't know. Oh, maybe. I still think that it was a case of he was, like, get out of the car like he did with the other one and that he just killed him and then stabbed him. Uh, The authorities said that they weren't sure who was shot first. They couldn't tell if Uh, Paul Martin or uh, Betty Jo was shot first. Right. Uh, Sheriff Presley and Texas captain uh texas ranger captain manuel i think it's gonzalez but it's spelled differently uh he said that the examinations of the bodies indicated that they had both put up a terrific struggle good uh yeah you're not just gonna fucking yeah, lay down die. yeah yeah um martin's friend tom albritton said that he did not believe uh an argument had happened between the two and martin didn't really have any enemies that he knew of yeah <coughs> Excuse me. Um, friends did not know how or why she ended up at Spring Lake Park. Uh, friends of um, Betty Jo Booker. Right. They didn't know why she ended up at Spring Lake Park since they knew that she and Martin were just friends. I guess Spring Lake Park was oh, a place like, where people went to make out. Went, went naked. Ne- went naked. <laughs> so um, they were like, yeah, these two were just friends. Like she wouldn't have, right. she wouldn't have been there with him. Uh, even after all this time, classmates of Booker and Martin do not want to be identified. Oh, wow. The the murders are still so vivid for them. Um, Somebody was quoted as saying, um, quote, we were all extremely frightened and extremely upset, and in a way, we still are. Um, Jerry Atkins, who was Booker's band leader of the Rhythm Airs, stated, quote, what happened was so tragic, and for many of us who lived through it, uh, the frustration and sadness will always be there. Uh, Mrs. Brown, who I think was i think someone said that it was betty joe's mom i don't know why she had a last a uh, separate last name but um, oh maybe i mean she, she, she could have been a liberal woman i don't know like maybe I'm, got, I'm not maybe maybe her husband's last name was butts like we don't know maybe i guess not if it's betty Booker. joe's last name is butts yeah. <laughs> so mrs brown said quote i trust the men who are handling the investigation into my daughter's into my daughter's death i'm sure they'll find who whoever did it and if he's caught, I would like to kill him. If they would let me, I would kill him myself. Oh, wow. That's some dedication right Shit. there. That is honestly, mama bear on it. Honestly, yeah, I was going to say, like, if it like if it's the mother talking, like, of course. Like, a mother will do anything to protect her children nine times out yeah. of... Like, nine out of ten mothers would do anything to protect their children. Yeah. And in, like, very typical of the time anytime especially of the area anytime something interesting happens everyone wants to be in on it oh yeah so this is all um because nobody had seen a crime like this before or a string of crimes like this before yeah so a radio news bulletin announced that a young male teen was found shot to death at spring lake park hundreds of people flocked (gasps) to the area oh i thought you were gonna say hundreds of times and i was like no hundreds of people flocked to the area throughout the day cars jammed the highway and the roads in the park as people tried to view the crime scenes yeah that's a little gross yeah yeah and and also like how hard is it to control a crime scene like that if you're the cops oh yeah 
I mean, because that's also, crazy. and like back in the day, it's not like they had caution tape or anything. Like, yeah. And who's to say that's not going to also contaminate the crime scene yeah. like even further? Also, and, and people were so fucking bored, <sighs> and everyone was shocked by the news that several hundred residents assembled around the sheriff's They're office. Like, yeah, let's to, just check this. <laughs> out. They wanted to be on site in case a suspect was apprehended. Everyone wanted to be there to see it. Oh, God. So they're getting in the way. My and eyes are going to get stuck from rolling so hard. Yeah. It, it gets even worse that the the residents at the time, like, as as the case goes on, um, they all just start, like, pinning different people for the crime. And, like, and people wonder why these types of things are so sensationalized now. Yeah. It's because, like, people like that started the whole thing. Yeah. So in still um, looking into this specific case... Suspects were constantly brought in throughout the day by the city police. Many friends of the victims, schoolmates, and others went to the Bowie County Sheriff's Office to give information. Uh, Atkins, the band director, and the other girls from Booker's band talked to Gonzalez and Presley for a long time. Atkins suggested that Booker should have a saxophone with her, and since no saxophone had been there, uh, it was a very important lead. They uh, They made note of the serial number and widely circulated it to pawn shops and music dealers in many states but they didn't find her saxophone until like six months later oh wow yeah so although the investigators had in the past cracked some of the most publicized and difficult cases in texas captain gonzalez said that the murders were among the most puzzling cases that he had ever encountered in his 30 years of criminal investigation oh my god yeah like i said it's a serial killing yeah and they'd never seen something like this before um, he also stated that, quote, we have certain information which we cannot disclose and we do not think the public should expect us to give out any information which would be, um, I can't read that word, which would be uh, a, pro- basically, which would be a problem to the investigation. Oh, okay, yeah. That would um, lead anybody to, like, would lead the um, the person that did it, yeah. if they had heard it, to be like, oh, let me switch this up. Right. Or um, gotta remember to do this next time. Mm-hmm. So they're keeping things to themselves so that they can... As they should. Yeah. Like, so the Texarkana Gazette and the Daily News cooperated with Gonzalez by withholding such sensitive information. You so, would never see that today. No. The media no. would be on it It's like that one Black Mirror episode. The first one. Where the princess gets kidnapped. Yes. Oof. I hate that and, episode. But, but the media is like, okay, well, like, let's let's get the white... Let's, let's get them all to agree and all that other stuff. Yeah. And, let's and then one decides to air it so then they decide to not honor it anymore because everybody else like it's just it all all it takes is one yeah but um luckily these two um news agencies cooperated and said that they wouldn't um divulge the sensitive information and sheriff presley and the texas rangers stated that out of the many suspects questioned during the past two days and nights of ceaseless work, very little valuable information had been obtained. Right. So these people that they were getting and questioning didn't really give anything. Yeah. So nobody really had anything that would help. Presley stated, quote, we are required to follow all leads, regardless of how thin they may be, in any hope that they will lead to something tangible in the eventual solution of the mystery. End yeah. quote. So even if they hear something really dumb... They they're have gonna take to, it yeah they're gonna take they it they have to look into it yeah because yeah. they've got nothing yeah and th- there were it becomes a problem later on um with the case that people just start throwing oh, yeah. things around saying that like i saw this person i saw this person and then they have to look into it and it's becoming like so time consuming i was gonna say yeah. yeah um but six months later on the morning of october 24th a mr Ward and McNeef, I think is the last name. Uh, they were repairing a fence and discovered Booker's missing saxophone still in its black leather case. Ooh. It was located in the underbrush across from Morris Lane and about 140 steps east from where the body was found. Oh. So why did it take six months to find the saxophone? They did not canvas that area well. It's a, it's a saxophone. It's not like a piccolo. Yeah. It's a big Yeah, case. they're huge. Yes. So why did it take six months? This is so stupid. Um, at the time of the discovery, the Phantom case had already been considered closed. Oh. So, and it looked like, I I didn't find any information that looked like it had been in, like, good condition. Right. So, it obviously had been there. It's not like the guy, like, went and put it there six months later and was like, ha ha, I'm back. Yeah, exactly. No. 
like they just they just didn't look yeah so that's um, such a that's such a bummer yeah so the next case happened on friday may 3rd sometime before 9 p.m 37 year old farmer and welder virgil starks was in his modest yet modern ranch style home on his 500 acre farm off of highway 67 east almost 10 miles northeast northeast of texarkana mm-hmm he turned on his favorite weekly radio show and his 36-year-old wife, Katie. Was his favorite weekly radio show Crime Culture? I mean, it would be now. Probably. Yeah. And it probably was then, too. We were around back then. Yeah. Why not? Um, uh, his 36-year-old wife, Katie, gave him a heating pad for his sore back. Aww. Um, he sat in his armchair in the sitting room, which was just off of the kitchen and the bedroom, while Katie was in the bedroom, lying on the bed, still in her nightgown. It's not. It's 9 p.m.? Yeah, I don't know. Not? You tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just reading like, it. I don't know. She's, it's the notes I found said still in her nightgown. I was like, was she in her nightgown all day? I don't know. She could I be mean, a, it's not, I've been there. I've if it's 9 that. p.m., she could be in her nightgown. I don't give a shit. Um, she heard something from the backyard and asked Virgil to turn down the radio. Seconds later, when Virgil was reading the May 3rd edition of the Texarkana Gazette, two shots were fired into the back of his head from a closed double window about three feet away. Katie did not hear the gunshots. Instead, she heard what uh, sounded like breaking glass. She thought Virgil had dropped something, so she went out to go see. And when she entered the doorway in the living room, she saw Virgil standing up and then suddenly slumped back in his chair. She saw blood and then ran to help him and lift up his head. When she realized he was dead, she ran to the phone to call the police. And this woman is a fucking badass. I was going to say, what a brave lady. Because I, like, yeah. I would have cried. No, she's a badass. It gets crazier. So, she rang the wall crank phone about two times before being shot twice in the face from the same window. Ooh, yeah. Why would you go back? Well, she was. She went to go grab but the phone. Like, yeah, but, like, stay away from the windows. She like, didn't, obviously, no, but she, she didn't shot. know. It, all right. So, then what? Did the gun come from the wall? Yeah, but she, she heard the sound of breaking glass. She, like, stepped out into the doorway, saw him, like, slump down. Yeah, sees and then that he's he blood. Was, he was covered in blood. She sees that he's blood. She didn't, like, look up at the window or anything. Like, she didn't know. But, like, that's what I'm saying, though. But then where else would it come from? I don't know. There could have been someone that broke into the house. But, like, I don't know. Still, I don't know. Maybe, so, then maybe this is just me reading too many things on yeah. serial killers. This is, and Probably. this is, uh, pretty gross. So one bullet entered her right cheek and exited behind her left ear. I'm telling you, this guy has a thing for noses. He keeps aiming for the right? noses. And the other went in through her lower jaw, her lower jaw just below the lip, breaking it and splintering out several teeth oh. were lodging under her tongue. Oh. oh, so she's been shot twice in the face. Wait, does she live? Yes. Oh, shit. Yes. Wait, listen to this. It's crazy. Holy shit. Um, she dropped to her knees, but soon managed to get onto her feet. She ran to get the pistol from the living room, but was blinded by her own blood. Understandably. She heard the killer tearing loose the rusted screen door on the back porch, and she thought she was going to be killed, so she stumbled toward the bedroom near the front of the house to leave a note. She was fully ready smart to be dead. Smart bitch. Fully ready to be dead. So So she went smart. to go leave a note. Meanwhile, the killer ran to the back of the house and made his way up the steps into the side screen porch through uh through another uh door she heard the killer coming through the kitchen window so she turned around and ran through the dining room through the bedroom down the hall through another bedroom and then through the living room out the front door leaving behind a quote virtual river of blood and teeth oh yeah uh she ran across the street barefoot blood soaked in her nightgown to her sister and brother-in-law's house. No one was home, so she ran 50 more yards. Shot twice in the oh, face. I know. She ran 50 more yards to the Pratter house. Um, Pratter answered her call for help. She guessed Virgil's dead, then collapsed. Pratter shot a rifle into... This is very Texas. Oh, Pratter boy. shot a rifle into the air to summon another neighbor, Elmer Taylor. Oh, God. Yeah. That's how you get people's attention. Jeez. Uh, Prater called to Taylor to bring his car because Mr. and Mrs. Stark had been shot. Taylor, along with Mr. and Mrs. Prater, uh, and their baby. They had to bring the baby. Uh, they gotta bring the baby. Yep. What are they gonna do? Leave him home to get yeah. shot? Bring the baby to the hospital with the woman who was shot in the face. I mean, a baby's um, most likely to be safe at yep. a hospital. They rode with Mrs. Starks to Michael Meager Hospital. Mrs. Mm-hmm. Stark gave Mr. Taylor, the driver, one of her teeth with a gold filling. 
another thing that seems very Texas to me. That's very Texas. Was that his payment? Uh, I guess so. Oh, oh my God. I don't know. This is weird. She was in a semi-conscious state, slumped forward in the front seat. Although she lost a considerable amount of blood, she showed no signs of going into shock and her heart rate remained normal. This woman's a fucking badass. She is. Holy shit. Holy shit. I would have been shot in the face and immediately dead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the news printed on the front page the next morning on Saturday, May 4th, reading, Murder, Rock City Again, Farmer Slain, Wife Wounded. Wife Wounded. Yes. I love the alliteration there. (laughs) Four days later, Sheriff Davis talked with Mrs. Stark at the hospital. Mrs. Stark uh, discounted a rumor that was circulating about Virgil hearing a car outside his home for several nights in a row, fearing of being killed. So... People are starting to yes, make up shit yeah. to kind of sens- sensationalize this a little bit more, which it doesn't need to because a woman got shot twice in the face and lived. Yeah. So you don't need to make this any more interesting. Yes. It is quite interesting. So in the house, um, the investigators found the trail of blood and scattered teeth. Uh, <laughs> Gonzalez, after seeing the river of blood, stated that, quote, it is beyond me why she did not bleed to death, end quote. Because she had a fucking story to tell. Yeah, right? She was not finished. Yeah, there were only two bullet holes in the window, leading Sheriff Davis to believe an automatic rifle was used. Investigators declared that after the killer shot Virgil, he waited patiently outside the window to shoot his wife. So he shot Virgil and knew that his wife would be coming to the window. So three clues were found at the scene. The first was the caliber of the bullets that were used. The second was a flashlight that was found under a hedge underneath the window that the Starks were shot from. And then the last clue was of bloody prints that were around the house. Shoe prints on the kitchen floor and smudged fingerprints in other places. And the shoe prints were obviously of the killer because um, Katie Starks was barefoot at the Uh. time. So they were definitely him. And um, Sheriff Davis stated that although the murder could not be directly linked to the Phantom because the caliber was a twenty-two. It was, quote, possible that the killer is one and the same man, end quote. I think that's a fair assumption. Yeah. It's not his typical MO because it wasn't a lover's lane. No, but they were still lovers to a degree. Like, they were married. They kind of probably loved each other. Yeah, but he he wasn't preying on teens in cars. No. This was at somebody's house now. This is weird. He's He's unraveling. Yeah. So the unofficial theory for a motive amongst the majority of the 47 officers was that of sex mania because of large amounts of money in the home that weren't taken, nor was Mrs. Stark's purse, which was lying on the bed containing money and jewels. Okay, that would make sense. So he he literally just went to go Well, I mean, that's similar to, like, look at the saxophone. Like, that had had to be worth, like, a pretty penny, too. Yeah, and And he he ended up not taking anything. Didn't care. Did not care. Which was probably, like, on his part... Um, better for him not to get caught because if he had pawned off that saxophone, they had the serial number. Right. So they would have known. Right. So that's actually then he. It, had to it would have led it back to him. He had to be like, I guess, a little smart. I guess. I if, if that's what his thought was. I mean, I feel like that had to. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. So nothing was stolen from the home. So obviously, like he wasn't after anything like that. Uh, the title on the front page of the Texarkana Gazette on Sunday, May fifth. Mm-hmm. Or was it a Monday? I don't know. It was on May 5th, 1946. Read, Sex Maniac Hunted in Murders. Okay. On Thursday morning, May 9th, Sheriff Davis was notified that the flashlight, which was found at the Starks murder scene, contained no fingerprints, unfortunately. Good. On Wednesday, the 29th, a colored picture on the front of the on the front page of the Texarkana Gazette showed the flashlight. It was the Texarkana Gazette's first spot-colored photograph. Ooh. Yeah, so the first time they That's ever used color in their printing was to show this photograph uh, of a flashlight that looks like it had, like, a, a black barrel and, like, right. a, two red ends. So they huh. definitely wanted people to be like, this is what it looks like. Do you know right. anybody that had had this? Um, by November of 1948, authorities no longer considered the Starks murder to be connected with the double murders. Mm. Yeah. So, that's about, like, two years later, I think, it looks like. Right. Because it was 1946. Yeah. So, they looked into into it for a while, and then they were like, eh, it's not connected because the MO is not the same. Agree to disagree, I suppose. Yeah. But it's it's too similar. Yeah. Like, come on. And it's... It, and how many killers are there in... In this one tiny te- little I'm town. I was going to say little old Texarkana. Yeah. 
So then here's here's where we get into like the um the mass panic that happened. Ooh, here we go. Um after the first double murder, some parents warned their children about being out too late, and the second double murder shocked the city and curfews were set for all businesses. The height of the town's hysteria snowballed after the murder of Virgil Starks. The Texarkana Gazette stated on Sunday, May 5th, that the killer might strike again at any moment, at any place, and to anyone. Before oh, it was normal. That's, that's not unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, no one's safe. I mean, it like, they have no clue what the fuck is yeah, happening. no. So they have to be like, hey, everyone, hey, realize guys. that this hey, is a thing. Hey, guys. And before, before all of this happened, it was normal to leave your house unlocked, but soon oh, residents yeah. started locking their doors, pulling down their shades, blocking their windows, and arming themselves with guns. Honestly, can't blame them. Yeah. Can't, can't blame them. Because somebody, it's not just kids getting attacked in the streets anymore it is yeah getting shot through a window in the face yeah and you didn't get like the house didn't get broken into it was shot through a window yes as one does yeah some people would nail sheets over their windows or nail the window down completely i mean that's smart i would nail my window down completely if there was like a maniac running out there yeah uh some people use screen door braces as window guards oh The, the next day after the stark's death several residents bought firearms and locks Mm. Stores sold out of locks, guns, ammunition, and window shades, and Venetian blinds. I mean, honestly, again, can't blame them. But, like, wow. Yes. Uh, Other items that were sold uh, included window sash locks, screen door hooks, night latches, and other protective devices. Okay. It started to get really crazy. People were, like, preparing for the worst. Oh, yeah. This is basically Armageddon. Yeah. It's crazy because like, no one knows. More or less, no one knows what's happening. No one knows when it's going to happen to them. Everyone thinks they're next. Yeah, so, I mean, and how can how can you not? Yeah, like no one is safe. All these people are getting like taken out. Yeah, and then during that weekend, Texarkana residents kept the police busy by flooding the station with reports of prowlers. One officer stated that nearly all of the alarms were a result of excitement, wild imagination, and even near hysteria. Uh, that I can believe that. I can believe that. Just call after call of like, uh, this person looks shady. I yeah. have a couple of e- examples here, which is oh please, they're Let's hilarious. Go. Um, but um, as a result of like how crazy it got, farmhouses and neighborhoods were blazed with light. Everyone, tr- oh, keeping yeah. their lights on. Keep the lights on. Absolutely. Yeah. Several businesses, including cafes, theaters, nightclubs. They lost so many customers. One business reported a 20% drop in business. Oh, wow. Yeah. The evenings were hopping, but the streets were practically deserted when dawn approached. The city became a virtual ghost town. Because of the drop in business, liquor stores closed at 930 and posted a statement in the paper saying, we fully understand the state of mind in which Texarkana is now gripped, and we are selling no liquor to persons who already have been drinking. We do not wish to add further to the troubles of the police. Any person who drinks whiskey at this time to get drunk and wander about the streets of Texarkana is further complicating the works of the police and placing himself in grave danger of being shot by people whose nerves are on edge from the recent murder. So TLDR, if you're doing all that shit, you deserve to get killed. It's it's (laughs) so funny that they posted in the papers like if your plan was to drink whiskey and get drunk yeah, and, and they're wander really the streets specific. you can have gin but no whiskey yeah it's like if this was your plan like sorry to ruin your friday night but like don't do it yeah um since citizens were so jittery and armed with guns texarkana was a very dangerous place officers <laughs> had to turn their siren on when they drove up get out and stand in their headlights and announce themselves to keep from being shot by a nervous homeowner oh my god yeah in order to get to Honestly, someone's house like that's that's crazy to me like just oh god like to, that to even be afraid of the police like feeling that no one they don't know yeah yeah no one knows anything about oh. who this person is it could be anybody um in order to go into someone's house you had to call in advance and let them know to expect you a fearful I mean, tab- that's, that, that's just being polite like what do you mean like you're not gonna just like show up and be like hey i'm here no, but sometimes you, like, pop over to somebody's house like this. There was there was none of that. There you was... better not be popping up over my house. Like, no. Yeah. No, I need, like, a warning. I need, like, a couple days notice. <laughs> Just to clean up. Yep. Um, a fearful tavern proprietor had shot a customer in the foot who was in search of beer. <gasps> Just, you Just don't, throw a little vodka on it. You'll be fine. Don't sneak up on somebody. Don't surprise somebody. No, it's scary. Never. 
Never. On the front page of the Texarkana Gazette on Monday, May 6, a headline stated that the entire area was fighting jitters. Captain Gonzalez helped fuel the hysteria when he announced on the radio on Tuesday evening that Texarkana should, quote, oil up their guns and see if they're loaded. Put them out of reach of children. Do not use them unless necessary. But if you believe it is, do not hesitate. See, he's well, like, get so fucking ready, don't man. shoot everybody, but at the same time, do. Yeah. Shoot everybody when you feel like it. Yes. Um, when asked what advice he would give to the the te- to quiet the town's fear, he responded, quote, I'd tell them to check their locks and bolts on their doors and to get double barrel shotgun to take care of any intruders to try to get in. Whew. But here's the thing, like, the Phantom Killer didn't try to get in. He just shot through the window. Yeah. No. Never, like, he, well, I mean, he tried to break in after he shot Yeah, but Katie also Stark she was she, still living, so yeah, like. Yeah, but like, would he have tried to break in if he had shot her and she had just dropped and died? No. Probably not. No. He was probably trying to just get in and kill her. Yeah. So that there was no witnesses. All right. Um, another part of the hysteria came from the killer being called the Phantom in the first place. Yeah. He was a Phantom. They didn't know where he is. Yeah, they don't know what who he, he is, looked what he looks like. like. And it could be any one of them then. Yeah. Uh, that Tuesday night, many residents around East 9th Street were alarmed and called the Gazette and the Daily News. Uh, when they believed more murders had been committed because they heard sirens. The sirens turned out to be sound effects from a carnival. So people are freaked out. I'm getting freaked out, and I'm not even, like, from there. Yeah. Guard dogs became a hot commodity in local want ads. Oh, I want a guard dog. Can I get a guard dog and, like, just, like, a cute little, like, fluffy, like, puppy and be like, this is my guard dog. This is my guard dog. This is my guard corgi. Oh, I want a guard (laughs) corgi. Uh, Terrified wives wouldn't go out after dark. In addition to arming and barricading themselves, residents took extreme measures, such as creating booby traps, installing lights, and even temporarily moving into hotels or relatives' homes for safety in numbers. Mm -hmm. Which, all right, that's fine. That that makes sense. Yeah. Plausible. Uh, Booby traps are a little weird. What kind? I would like to know. Like Home Alone style shit with like a bucket? Oh, I hope so. Oh, I hope so. That'd be great. Or like where you drop a net, like you trip over a thing and a net drops. Yes. Um, Overnight watches were kept and tensions were high with police questioning anyone who appeared to be a suspect. More than a week after the death of Mr. Starks, police departments on both sides of the city were being swamped with excited phone calls about prowlers and gunshots. Uh, Reporters ranged from the possible to the ridiculous, yet officers diligently checked every single one on Friday. I'd be so done. Right. Just quit like, nope, then. Bye. I can't take it. This all this bullshit. On Friday, May tenth, officers rushed to the home of somebody on Olive Street with reports of strange noises coming from an upstairs room. Officers found a cat thrashing about in a trash can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there something up there? I hear it. I don't know why I have a Midwestern accent, but Yep. Again on Olive Street. Olive Street can't catch a fucking break. Officers checked a report of that a strange man was on someone's porch. It turned out that it had uh, he had stepped out of the rain to wait for a bus. But oh my also, God. dude, you know everyone's freaked out. No, exactly. Like you're instigating. Um, on Magnolia Street. <laughs> on Magnolia Street, a report of a prowler bumping up against the house turned out to be some hedges being blown against it. Oh my god. I know, people are freaked. Oh. On 16th that Street... That is Scooby-Doo shit. Yeah. A family called in that they had heard tapping at their door. It was later discovered that a messenger was delivering a special letter. <laughs> yeah. At one point, when white-faced calves broke loose around County Avenue and slept on lawns... I guess they're, these are cows? Maybe. I, don't, I guess so. I don't know, some Texas shit. Uh, <laughs> frightened residents called to report, quote, white face things in the dark. Oh, no. Yeah. Gunshots were heard and turned out to be someone shooting at something they thought was a prowler, usually a shadow. Oh, yep. God. Is this Peter Pan? Like, yeah. come on. Accidental discharges from people loading their guns and even backfires from vehicles. Yeah. Like, that, these are the things that like, like these are the calls they're just, that they're getting yeah they're they're overly scared yeah it's getting freaked out yes um as news announcements spread and suspects were searched in surrounding counties the fear crossed over to many other cities including hope lufkin and magnolia even going as far as oklahoma city residents in Uh-oh. other cities were also stocking up on guns and even axes so this is why everyone loves their guns so much because you gotta kill that Phantom Texarkana. Man. 
It all goes yep. back to Texarkana. Yeah. Uh, every three weeks, when there were no murders, uh, a, a town's fear began to drop a little bit. The hysteria lasted throughout the summer and eventually faded about three months later. The Texas Rangers quietly left Texarkana little by little through October, and it was not announced as to keep the Phantom from attempting another attack. Right. So they didn't they didn't want anyone to know just in case the Phantom was going to come back. Right. So although most of the town was in fear of the Phantom, some kids continued to park on lonely roads. Uh, so, wait, wait. They have it coming. It was, it was like vigilante justice. It was crazy. Oh. Some of them hoped to apprehend the Slayer. Oh, but that's still kind of... You're a kid. Come yeah. on. No. Scooby-Doo. That is Scooby-Doo. Um, one night, Ruh-roh. Officer Tillman Johnson was patrolling a lonely road with Arkansas State Trooper Charlie Boyd when they came upon a parked car. Johnson got out while Boyd stayed behind. Johnson walked up to the car and noticed a couple. He said, I am Tillman Johnson with the Miller County Sheriff's Department. Why are... Uh, aren't you scared to be parked out here at night? And the girl replied, quote... You're the one that ought to be scared, mister. It's a good thing you told me who you are. And she revealed that she had been pointing a twenty-five caliber pistol at him the entire time. <gasps> yeah. She was going to shoot that bitch. <laughs> good. Uh, on good. Friday night, May 10th, Texarkana, Texas City police officers chased a car for three miles that had been following a city bus. The police shot out the tires and arrested a high school star athlete named C.J. L- Lauderdale. Uh, when the officers questioned the teen at the station, he explained that he did not know that they were officers because they were driving an unmarked car. I mean, oh, valid. Yeah, that's valid. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes he sense. He thinks he's being followed. Yeah. So that's crazy. Um, he said he was going to follow the bus because he was suspicious of an occupant who had just gotten on from a private car. So he saw somebody okay, yeah, get no, out of a private car, get on the bus, and he was like, this is fucked up. Yeah. So he followed it. No, that makes sense. And then he didn't get, he didn't pull over because they were in an unmarked car. Right. So I, I understand no, this No, I can kid. understand that. And you know the whole thing now, too, where, like, if you, if, like, an unmarked car or something is, like, trying to pull you over, you go to, like, you can call 411. Yeah. And be like, hey... Like, tell the officer I'm going to, like, stop and shop down the road or whatever. Yeah. Because I want people to see me if I get murdered. And then that's, yeah. Yeah. And then that's when 411 goes, oh, hey, we've got no officers in that area. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to die now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's freaky. That's, oh, I don't like that at yeah, all. Yeah, no thanks. But it's um, good to know. Yeah. On Sunday, May 12th, Captain Gonzalez gave a warning to, <laughs> quote, teenage sleuths. Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I thought you said teenage sleuths. <laughs> Sleuths. Sleuths are necking. Yes. Uh, He said in the Gazette um, that it was a good way to get killed. Yeah, Yeah. no shit. Yeah. Very astute observation. So he tried to bait the fandom by recruiting teenagers, some of which were sons and daughters of the Texas Rangers, as decoys in parked cars while the officers waited nearby. That's not a good idea. That's a 1940s idea. That That is yep. a 1940s idea. Let's get a bunch of kids that's, and put them in a car that's and That's for kids whose parents didn't really want them in the first place. Nope. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, some officers even volunteered as decoys, with some being... Um, with some with real partners and others with mannequins. Oh, no. <laughs> that's almost... No, that's more terrifying to me. That was like that guy that tried I'd to go through... I'd shoot my mannequin. I'd be like, nope, bye. That was like the guy that tried to go through the um, carpool lane, but he had a mannequin yeah, in the I car. Yeah, I saw that. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was great. Um, after the murders of Booker and Martin, some officers hid in trees at Spring Lake Park. Despite all of their efforts, the Phantom never took the bait. Um, I wonder why, I wonder if, I can't help but wonder if he knew. Maybe. Here's a little bit of information about the Phantom Killer. Right. Uh, He didn't acquire the nickname until after the death of Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin. In the April 16th edition of the Texarkana Daily News, a heading read, quote, Phantom Killer eludes the officers in investigation of slayings pressed. Um, So the Texarkana Daily News was the first person to call him the Phantom Killer. Calvin Sutton, the managing editor of the Gazette, had an acute sense for the dramatic in the news, which implemented him to turn um, to ask that he could start referring to the murderer as the Phantom. Um, I guess the uh, the head of the newspaper said, quote, Why not? If the SOB continues to elude capture, he certainly can be called a Phantom. True. Huh, why not? 
Um, the victims of the first attack, Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean LeRae, were the only victims uh. to give a description of the attacker. Uh, because I was gonna say no shit because they're all dead. No, Katie Stark. Yeah, but like all the other ones up until that point, like yeah, dead. God, but Katie Stark, and they said that the Starks' murder might not have been. Yeah, might not have been. I'm I'm opting to not necessarily include it at this particular point because Just like because unless it, it's, it's proven. Yeah, and it's not the same. Yeah, now, so. yeah. I mean, it's still completely fucked. But like, you don't know. Yeah, but the um, other ones you do. Yeah, so they were the only ones to give a description. So they said that he was about six feet tall. He had a white mask over his face with holes cut out for the eyes and his mouth. Um, Although Hollis believed he was a young, dark, tanned white man under 30, Lorray believed he was a light-skinned African-American man. I don't know how you can tell the difference between a dark-skinned white person and a light-skinned black person. Yeah, in the dark. In the dark. In the dark. Yeah whatever the only surviving victim uh other than them katie starks said that she never saw her assailant since hollis and loray were the only survivors to give a description it cannot be known that the killer wore a mask during the other attacks oh yeah Mm. so at the murder scene of virgil starks bowie county sheriff um William H. Presley said, quote, the killer is the luckiest person I've ever known. No one sees him, hears him, or can identify him in any way, end quote. Officers have said that the killer is apparently a maniac who is an expert with a gun. Victim and survivor Jimmy Hollis said, quote, I know he's crazy. The crazy things he said made me feel that his mind was warped in some way. Me. Yeah. (laughs) My mind is warped in some way for doing this podcast. Yeah. Um, there was a psychologist at the Federal Corrections Institution of Texarkana okay. that said, he said something a little fucked up oh. and I'm going to, I'm going to say it because it's part of the case, but it's, it's fucked up. Yeah. But let, with, let it be known that, let this it be is, known that these opinions do not reflect that of crime yeah. culture and or Haley Langan and Caitlin Mahar. Yes. So this is Dr. Anthony LaPala. Like I said, psychologist from the Correctional Institute in Texarkana. Okay. He said... And I quote, he didn't believe that the killer was a black man because, quote, in general, Negro crimes are not that clever. That is what he said. He said, a black person is too stupid for this. Welp. Bitch. Uh, I mean, I I'm actually ac- speechless. I don't want to accuse anyone of a crime, but, but anybody you know can be what? a killer. Hey, no, you know what? No. Black people deserve the same rights as us. They deserve to be considered a killer just as much as we do. Yeah. Like, the, um, just because serial killers do tend to be white men. You can't, no, but you can't even say like, who could be a serial killer because... But it's got nothing to do with cleverness. It's just because the white men are the ones that get the yeah. angriest because they've got... They're, it's like spoiled little children. Yeah, and we're going to talk... about no once. We're and gonna then talk suddenly about the, they're killing all the brunettes. Yeah. We're yeah. going to talk about the, the types of serial killers. We there are. are classifications for organized killers and disorganized killers. True. And that is not based on race. Yep. And True. the last podcast on the left actually did an episode chronicling lots of black serial killers oh yeah some very clever and some really i mean not as great this is not based on color no, cleverness is just based on like whether or not you're clever like, like henry lee lucas and Otis tool were stupid as hell true dumb white guys true. and still killed true. a lot of people true there's a lot that's of, accurate uh they said that um what's his name i don't remember if it was btk or the green river killer one of them was had a very low iq oh and i was just i was just oh dennis raider was about? a fucking idiot because he's like he like sent a message to the police was like can you trace a floppy disk and the police were like no wink 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 yeah and he sent his next letter on a floppy disk and they like checked the history of it and found like deleted stuff and found out who he was from a floppy disk. If Homer Simpson were a serial killer. Like, you killer. fucking idiot. Buy a new floppy, you dumb piece of shit. Oh, God, he's oh, so stupid. God, I love So, it. anyway, that's just something that one of the psychologists yes. said that's real fucked that's, up. No, that's pretty, that's pretty shitty. Yeah. So, then, here's some of the, the suspects. Throughout the investigation, the Phantom Killer case had almost 400 suspects that were arrested. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's... It's fucked up. That's too many. Uh, the prime suspect, 
um, was found by Max Tackett, who's the guy that I mentioned before. Yep. He was a 33-year-old Arkansas State Police officer and was a rookie at the time and realized that a car had been stolen on the nights of all of the murders. Such a smart cookie! Yeah. and previously stolen car was found abandoned. On Friday, June 28, 1946, Tackett found a car that had been reported stolen in a parking lot. He staked out the car until someone came back to it. He arrested a 21-year-old woman, and she said that she had just uh, married her husband in Shreve- Shreveport. Shreveport. Yeah. Shreveport. Uh, but was currently in Atlanta. Texas tried... A, um, he was in Atlanta... Oh, sorry. He was in Atlanta, Texas. Not Georgia. There's an Atlanta, Texas, apparently. Yeah. I don't like that. He was in Atlanta, Texas, trying to sell another stolen car. Homer Carter, who was a police... uh, Chief of police in Atlanta, told Tackett that a man had been trying to sell stolen cars to one of his citizens. Tackett asked the citizen if he would recognize the suspect, but the man said that he would not. See, this is where this guy is, like, really smart. Tackett noticed that the citizen had a very distinct look, which included a cowboy hat and boots. Tackett told the citizen, quote, you wouldn't recognize him, but he would recognize you. So Max then asked the citizen if he was willing to walk with him into several public places. Tackett had the idea that if the suspect would not want to see the citizen and would try to avoid him. Okay. Very cool. So on Saturday in July, um, Tackett walked into the Arkansas Motor Coach bus station on Front Street near Union Station uh, with this guy. Tackett saw a man run out the back of the building. After chasing him, and he caught him on a fire escape. The Ooh. man was Yule Sweeney. Uh, he would not talk, but his wife Peggy confessed in great detail that he was the phantom killer and that he had killed Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin. Oh, yeah. all right. Well, then there we go. By law in 1946, Peggy could not be made to testify against her husband. And because she was considered an unreliable witness... Uh, Yule Sweeney was not arrested for murder. Instead, oh, with on. only circumstantial evidence, he was sent to prison for being a habitual offender of car theft. <laughs> so here's the circumstantial evidence against him. Right. When Tackett caught Yule Sweeney on the fire escape, Sweeney said, quote, please don't shoot me. Tackett required, replied, quote, I'm not going to shoot you for stealing cars. Sweeney then replied, quote, Mr. Don't play games with me. You want me for more than just stealing cars. Oh, come on. Yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah. So when Yule was at the police, uh, was in the police car, he asked Tillman Johnson, quote, Mr. Johnson, what do you think they'll do to me for this? Will they give me the chair? The electric oh, chair. Oh, come on. Johnson responded like with, he's quote, got yeah, he said, quote, you won't get much, maybe five or ten years. They don't give you the electric chair for stealing cars. Sweeney then said, quote, Mr. Johnson, you got me for more than stealing cars. He He's, said it twice. Yeah, I was going to say, he said it twice now. Like, he might as well have been speaking in past yeah. tense. He also told lawyer... Um, so, sorry, no. When a lawyer told Peggy that her husband was being held for murder, she explained, how did they find it out? Come yeah. on! And he's still... Uh, yep. And also... That makes me so mad. Police found a khaki shirt um, in the suspect's room with a laundry mark of the word S-T-A-R-K... Which was red under a blacklight. So he had a, a shirt that said Stark on it. Oh, come on. Yeah. Well, that's just, that's so ridiculous. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that is ridiculous. And then two other things. While being accused of murder, Sweeney remained silent instead of pleading his innocence. And Peggy Sweeney confessed to her husband's actions, really revealing very detailed information, including things officers knew and other things they didn't. Then. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, I'm getting calm. I'm getting calm. Yeah. Even um, though this is stupid, yeah. but I'm getting calm. So, there was false confessions in it as well. As in other famous crimes, including the case of Jack the Ripper, the police dealt with numerous false confessions. Tillman Johnson recounted a story about a travel... Um, about traveling to Shreveport after being notified that the Shreveport police were holding a man in custody for confessing to the crimes. The man was arrested at a bar after telling his story unknowingly to a news reporter. The reporter promised the man a fifth of whiskey if he would, quote, tell all. When Johnson arrived, he noticed the man as a Texarkanan alcoholic who had confessed to it before. Calling the man out by name, Johnson said, quote, you know you didn't kill those people. Why'd you go and do this? What'd you go and do this for? The drunkard replied, quote, well, hell, I got a fifth of whiskey out of it. 
Oh my god. This is a fucking I love cartoon. It. No, this is. This is Scooby Doo. Yeah. So, um, there's a couple books written about it. I'll link those onto the website um, that are pretty interesting about the Moonlight Murders themselves. Mm-hmm. And then, very famously, there is a movie called The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Yep. That was yep. based off of this crime. And it got a 50% uh, score on Rotten Tomatoes and audience score of 41. I thought it was pretty good. Okay. It's from 1976. Yeah. So it's an it, older one. I knew movie. it was an older one. I haven't I haven't seen it, but... Yeah. Um, it was loosely based on the events, despite its claim that only the names have been changed. Uh, mm-hmm. They did take some pretty big liberties with the movie, as you do when you're making a movie. Right. Um, since the movie claimed that the story you were about to see is true, where it happened and how it happened, the fabricated parts created much of the myth and the folklore about the murders oh, for several decades. Oh, yeah. Uh, one example is that in the film, Betty Jo Booker plays the trombone and is killed with a knife that is attached to the instrument by the Phantom. And it's oh, a very God. iconic scene. Yeah, no, I know the scene, but like, come on. Yeah. Um, one guy from efilmcritic.com said, quote, uh, it's a docudrama that is more enjoyable for its 70s feel than anything else. Yep. And um, Dennis Schwartz of Ozis Movie Review said, quote, a true story so fascinating that it overcomes most of the filmmaking flaws. So lots of, it's become like a cult classic mm-hmm. more than anything else. Yeah. And um, in 2014, they remade it in oh. The Town of the Dreaded Sundown. It's more of a sequel because the synopsis of the movie is 65 years after the mask serial killer terrorized a small town of Texarkana, the so-called moonlight burners begin again. Is it a copycat or something even more sinister? A lonely high school girl with dark secrets of her own may be the key to catching him. It's always the, it's always yeah. the copycat. It's always the copycat. And the reason why they remade it is because um, every October near Halloween, the movie The Town That Dreaded Sundown, the original one, um, they would show it in a public, like, movie, like, right. movies on the lawn, yeah, basically. Yeah. They would show it at Spring Lake Park, the oh. place where one of the murders happened. It's a free event that was sponsored by the Tex- Arcana, Texas Department of Parks and Recreation. The showing of the movie has been a tradition since 2003. It's still going on now. When before, are we doing? Before Halloween. When are we going? I would love to go. That, that's, Let's do it. Let's that'd do be it. so cool. About 600 people attended the showing in 2008. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot. That's like for a tiny little town? Yeah. That's a lot. Um, also on TV, they covered um, this case a little bit like in a documentary called Killer Legends. Oh, okay. It's really good. Yeah. No, I know it was Killer on, Legends. I think it's still on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. But um, they covered like a couple stories in it and they cover this one and it's really good. I really, really like it. Um, there's a song by the Bad Detectives called Texarkana Moonlight. Ooh. Yeah, very interesting. Um, there's uh, TLC's Ultimate 10 Unsolved Crime Mysteries. Yep. This was featured in it. The Text Files, The Phantom Killer, which was in 2002, uh, was a little series that featured the story. And in 2010, a play called The Phantom Killer debuted in Manhattan at the Abdigan Theater Company's Dorothy Strelson, Strelson Theater. Mm. It was written by Jan Buttram who grew up in Oak Grove community near DeKalb. So it somebody who was in the area. It didn't do great, but... Yeah, but still. Very interesting that yeah, they... Yeah, they, that they made, made a play a, out of it. Yeah, they made a play about some of these murders. Right. So um, the murders also are alleged to have um, been the reason behind the Hook urban legend. Right. I don't know if you've heard of the Hook urban legend. Um it's that of a deranged murderer with a hook for a hand. He always escapes from either a prison or a mental institution and is on a murder spree that targets young couples who are alone at night. According to a historian and folklorist, Jan Harold Banram, Ben, bruv, I can't read it. I'm going to have it on the, the website. I'm sorry, I'm butchering his name. But this, this uh, folklorist said that the legend has been around since the 50s and its first account was in print in the 1960 Dear Abby advice column. Oh. Very weird. Okay. So here's the legend itself. 
Uh, two teenagers making out in a parked car on a secluded lover's lane when they hear an urgent message on the radio warning of an escaped convict in the area with a hook for a hand. The girlfriend hears a scratching outside the car and demands to leave. Yeah, I've heard this. The sexually frustrated boyfriend speeds off when he arrives at the girlfriend's house. The couple discover a hook in the door handle. They had just nearly missed the hook man. Variations of the story are um, that the killer is waiting on the roof of the car and yep. kill the teens when they arrive at the girl's house. In others, the boyfriend gets out to pee in the woods, and while he's gone, the girlfriend hears the warning on the radio. She hears a scratching on the roof, and when she gets out to see what it is, the boyfriend is hanging from a tree above the car. I've heard that, scraping too. the roof of the, yep. of the car. Yeah. There's actually also a really cool t-shirt that has the Phantom Killer on it by somebody in Texarkana. Oh, okay. It's on Etsy. It's really cool. Oh, I will cool. link that as well. And then I'll link everything about the, um, the movies and tv shows and, and everything like that yeah uh there's gonna be crime scene photos uh if you are not into that shit we trigger warning everything yep so just make sure that you have um restrictions on it we hashtag everything trigger warning or tw so um make sure you have that set so yep. that you don't have to see that um the website is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. Yes, it is. And if you want to search for anything, go to the search bar and just type in episode and then the number episode it is. Yep. And you can find our social media on there. Yep. All of our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything. Our yep. emails on there if you want to email us yeah. of what you are interested in listening to. Um, we'll or if definitely you get stories of your own. We'll maybe, definitely maybe try to... your great 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 grandpappy was the phantom killer of Texarkana. If you live in We'd Texarkana, yes, and we and are willing to house us during our yes. our trip to if go you've see. Ever been, yes. If you've ever been to the the showing, yes, I definitely want to hear about that. Yes, so um, go to our website. Everything is linked on there, and let us know. Alrighty. This is a good one. This was a this good one. This is a really cool one. I like I'm, the, I'm the like, weird unsolved I'm not, shit. I'm not sleeping tonight. This is going to be great. I like the the, the hook legend. Yeah. That was that's really fun. Yeah. No, and that's 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 a common trope that's been used a lot. I like that I know, one. but yeah. it's really cool. No, that's what I like. I like I like that one. Like I like the different variations. I'll, I'll do use. a lot more stories that are like linked to urban legends because right. I love that shit. Right. It's so cool. Right. I you got to do those melon heads. I'm from Connecticut. We're going to do it. We're all about those melon heads. We're going to do it. It's going to be really cool. All right. So um, listen back next Tuesday for our next episode. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Bye.